Welcome to the Kingdom Crossroads Podcast with Pastor Bob Thibodeau. Pastor Bob conducts personal interviews with Christian influencers from around the globe, helping Christian authors, recording artists, CEOs, entrepreneurs, nonprofit leaders, and yes, pastors and ministry leaders to get the word out about what they are doing to impact the world with the gospel. Our podcast has been rated in the top one half percent of all podcasts in the world by listennotes.com, so you know your message will be heard. Now, here is your host with today's interview, Pastor Bob Thibodeau. Hello, everyone, everywhere. Pastor Robert Thibodeau here. Welcome to the Kingdom Crossroads podcast today. We're so blessed that you're joining us. You know, the book of the Revelation for some brings ominous warnings and invokes fear. For believers, the opposite is true, or at least it should be for believers. The hope that the soon return of Jesus is about to happen. You know, we can see signs from the book of the Revelation all around us today. We are living in what the Bible depicts as the end days. We are living it right now. As I said, for believers, we should be getting excited. We also need to get busy. I mean, we need to be witnessing like never before. We need to sound the alarm as never before. We need to be warning everyone that the end is near. Now, I wouldn't go as far as to hold up a sign that says that on a city street corner, you know, unless that's what the Lord told you to do. But we should be sharing the gospel and relating it to the end times events in an effort to show the world that the Bible is true and we are about to witness something spectacular. Hey, man, don't shut me down when I'm preaching good. Glory to God. Well, Scott Wright is back with us today. Scott's been teaching us about the different ages of the church and significant things in the Bible and the history that relates to them and what it has to say about them. Now, if you missed any of the preceding episodes where we covered the church ages one through six, go back to the archives, find them, listen to them, because you'll be amazed at the information Scott's been sharing with us thus far. Amen. Scott is helping us to understand each of the different church ages and why they are so significant, especially as we look at the modern day church age with all the societal problems that we're facing today. Amen. Today, we're going to be looking at the seventh age of the church as depicted in the book of the Revelation. To do this, help me welcome back to the program, Scott Rice. Scott, it is so good to have you back on the program today, brother. I appreciate it. Well, Bob, thanks for having me and look forward to our uh, fun discussion here on the seventh age of the church. Amen. Well, give, give us a recap of what we talked about thus far and how it all leads up to our subject matter for today, mainly our relation to the church of, of Laodicea. Well, obviously, we've covered the first six ages of the church, and we're starting to see a pattern emerging, which we will talk about once we finish talking about the seventh age of the church. And through that, God has God had a plan, obviously. He also had an understanding of how human beings would, at times, corrupt the church and not walk exactly the way that he called us to, mm-hmm. but even through man's failures, the Holy Spirit would continue to move Jesus Christ and the message of the gospel through those ages, even with a lot of the different corruption and a lot of the different issues that you see in each of those churches. And Jesus predicted that this would happen because Revelation chapter 2 and 3 was given to John in his vision well before we ever even got to the second age of the church. It was given during the first age of the church. So we're, we're talking about a vision that was given early. 
and Jesus speaking to John. And so he literally predicted what would happen through the seven ages of the church and gave us a picture of that. And quite frankly, it wasn't a pretty picture, but he still showed that the gospel, the message of the gospel will move through each of those ages and will continue until it's time for the end of the, the time of the Gentile is to end. And we'll, we'll talk about that, the end of the Gentile and Jews, Gentiles, all that stuff and how that works when we talk about the timeline after we're done with the seventh age of the church. Amen. Amen. So let's get started on the seventh age of the church. What kicks it off? What ends the sixth age and what kicks off the seventh age? Well, as we, you and I have already talked about, there were during the eight, it's really the 1830s. And if you go back and you look at the 1830s, the 1830s is a time of mass expansion of technology. And we're not talking about little technologies that would impact us. And, and when I say mass, I'm talking about ability of the ability of transportation and communication that would have impact the masses of people, not just giving more goodies to royalty, but now it was going to literally change the life of people that we would consider the middle class and the lower class. As far as socioeconomically, it would, and it would not just do it here in the United States and in Great Britain, but across the world. And in the 1830s, we're going to see things like the telegraph, really come about that's communication eventually leading to things like the telephone and all the other things that we see of mass communication today we're going to see the railroad become a pro the dominant force in as far as land travel it's going to replace the covered wagon and the horse and then eventually obviously the car will follow behind and and then eventually airplanes and you know and all that stuff will will come into play down the road but the railroad is kind of that big one as far as mass transportation, as well as the steamship, because that's going to allow uh, these ships to get across at that time, the Atlantic Ocean between the United States and Great Britain and Western Europe at a much faster rate. And that is all going to happen in the 1830s. Most of this will really have taken off just before 1840. And the signature event that really is kind of that highlight event to show the, tr the, the trigger is when Queen Victoria, who is the monarch of the most powerful nation on earth, Great Britain, t is coronated in 1838. That is significant. Why is that? Because Queen Victoria is going to marry Prince Albert, and those two together are going to, and you could really say it's both of them, they are going to do something that hasn't really been done by a monarch. They are going to become the voice of the people in many ways. And you you can go back and, and look at the history, um, the things that they promoted, but they're going to speak, uh, Prince Albert's going to speak out against things like slavery, and they're going to look at the conditions of the poor and and all of those things. But also, in and it's kind of all happening together with this emergence of these technologies, and then now you have a monarch that is becoming the voice of the people, still being a monarch, but instead of lording over people, helping people to rise up and live a better standard of living, 
what this is, is really, you can think of this last stage of the church as the age of the individual, because it is going to promote the individual. The other six ages of the church, the great awakening is kind of given that idealism to it. You know, George Whitefield went, goes further than anybody preaching the gospel and leading the movement of the first great awakening. Well, embedded in that philosophy is the individual connection to Christ himself, not the church being that buffer anymore. Well, that end of, that idea of individualism and the individual rising up will give way eventually as the great awakening dies off. The second great awakening dies off. There is a third great awakening, by the way, I want to throw that out there for you historians and you know that, but it didn't have a lot of impact. It was just a little bit of a continuation. So we're not, I don't really pay attention to that one. Like I do the first two, but what you've got to see here is that it's the rise of the individual and that starts to take off in exponential ways in the 1830s. You know, we're going to fight a war 30 years later yeah. over human rights. Right. We're going to yeah. fight a war in World War II about freeing people and human rights. We're going to see more of this come about. We're going to see more social wars fought, not over land, but over people and rights of people. We're going to see monarchs replaced by political systems. Those are going to be some characteristics that really take off. And some of those idealisms are built in the fifth and sixth age of the church and they're trickled down. However, they take off and grab full tilt in the seventh age of the church mm. and become very representative. So things like democracy and communism in the way that we think about it really takes hold in the 1800s in the early 1900s. Amen. So like civil war, world war one, world war two, you're saying that basically revolved around, you know, human rights and things like that. Right. It did. And think about this world war one destroyed a lot of the power of the monarchs. Mm. Yeah. I mean, think about it. It really did it. You know, you, the Austria, Hungary, the Austrian empire, the Ottoman empire, the German empire, yeah. those monarchs are going to basically collapse and, and other monarchs across the globe. Matter of fact, you can go back and look no longer are we after I think 1859, if I'm not mistaken, is the last war fought between two monarchs. Okay. So that's going to end, you know, and, and we're going to see that kind of that slow degree, that slow degrading of the power of the monarchies and world war one will bring a, an entire new life to people. And all these this. technologies that had advanced, had advanced up to that point, really take hold right after World War One. Let me ask you this, because we, we keep referring back to, you know, England and, you know, uh, that's where the King James Bible and all this stuff came through. When did the power of the monarchy over there change from, you know, the monarchy to parliament? When, when did that power shift happen? Well, it was kind of gradual. I mean, you can start all the way back to the Magna Carta, mm. and that's in the 1200s. Uh, I mean, we were talking about, you know, the human rights and, and the yes. shift from the power, but what was the, I mean, you got, you know, Queen Victoria and all that here. Was she the one that basically, you know, gave the power to the people? 
Well, some of that had already been in place, but yes. And, and think about this. And I, and I always say this, it's not totally different in the United States because the way life just was, it's really the end of the agrarian lifestyle is really what does it. I mean, if you think about it, you go back and you look, what was the, how did they keep people under control? It was because most people lived in agrarian lifestyle. And so it was very easy to do so. Once that shifted to more of an urban lifestyle and the, what I call the, the industrial revolution really maturing, which is going to happen in the 1830s, that is going to give way more to the individual because now people have the ability to move from different jobs to different jobs. They can move around. So it almost becomes impossible for governments to control the people like that. You're going to see more rioting, more movements, more revolution in certain, in certain ways, even though some revolutions had happened before nothing like this. These were going to be social revolutions and these social revolutions were going to be things like, we'll see all kinds of things, workers' rights and unionizing and ability of people to move from job to job. I mean, now people, they say can have up to seven to 10 careers and should expect to, you know, yeah. kids that are coming up now. So you can see that change, but this eight in the 1830s is really the big part of that. And I, and, and basically what you're saying is that, when did the government give way on that? That had already started happening before, you know, you got the English Bill of Rights and we have right at the very beginning of the Great Awakening, the sixth, the very beginning of the sixth age of the church, England was on the brink of revolution. It already happened in France and it was not pretty. And you can go back and read about the French Revolution yeah, and all yeah. the stuff that was happening. Let me think. Exactly. So... <laughs> So some of this stuff had already been on the brink of happening. It was just much more difficult then because everything was controlled. The government had so much more handle on populations because everybody just stayed the same. It was an agrarian lifestyle. You know, yeah. an agrarian lifestyle is very different than the urban yeah. lifestyle we live in. Now, for the first time in history, we have over 60% of the world's population living in urban areas or mm. suburban areas. Yeah. So they're not, we're not living agrarian lifestyles right. anymore. Yeah. Yeah. It's a That's very true. different mindset. I mean, you're sitting in, you're sitting in a major city right now. I'm sitting yeah. in an area that has become a major area. And so we're sitting here electronically talking and hosting exactly. a podcast and people yeah, are able to listen to it. I mean, this is, yeah. we, we take it for granted. Yeah. But quite frankly, this is this is beyond a paradigm shift. I mean, even the yeah. way we think now of church and gatherings of church is changing. Mm -hmm. I mean, we're we're seeing those things today and we, we've been watching this happen really over about the last 30 years. Exactly. And it's yeah. been gradual. Now it's not gradual anymore. It is changing in droves. And the way that we think of church, as far as how our society, you know, going to church on Sunday, what does that look, you know, just that type of style. And what's happened is, is we've just gradually moved away from an agrarian lifestyle. Yeah. And that the big catalyst is the start kind of starts in the 
first or the sixth age the start of the sixth age of the church, but it explodes in the 1830s with the start of the seventh age of the church. Amen. 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 And, and, and you got it. And here's what I believe in. And, and one of the things that people do is when they're looking at when were those trigger events went that happened with the different age of the churches switching is, is they only look at church history, but you really have to look at all of history combined. You have to, you have to see the, the global impact. And so these are the global impacts, the events that would have really shaped how it would change because global, the way things operate social, social and culturally and all those things and, how they are global and, and the powers to be and who's controlling those different entities at the time. Those are really the focal points of flipping those ages of the church, because that affects how the church operates Amen. on so many levels and how the gospel is spread. Amen. So the so, start of the seventh age of the church coincided basically with the, the as you said, the shift from the agrarian society to the yep. industrial age coupled in with all the transportation you know like we talked about before you know being able to go instead of taking three months to go across the ocean you know you're doing it in a couple weeks exactly all that technological advance has ushered in to the seventh church age right exactly think about this you had we had if you go back during the napoleonic wars and then you you fast forward to world war one and look at the way those wars were fought. There's about a hundred year gap there. Look how far technology came and look how different the societies were in a hundred years. But if you kind of dial back, you can say, Hey, you know, in the 1400s, all the way back to the 800s, life didn't change that much. It wasn't that different. It wasn't that different in the 16 and 1700s. Yeah, it it so was a little be, different. Yeah. That, that growth is exponential. At, yeah. I mean, that's what I say. You said the 14, 1500. That's thing. Oh, shoot. Up until, you know, about 1800 itself. I mean, everything was the same. I mean, the, exactly. You know, the populations were getting a little bigger, but as far as, you know, transportation and agriculture and, you know, all that, it, Stay, you know, if your father was a blacksmith, you're probably going to be a blacksmith. <laughs> you know, exactly. I mean, yeah. it was just, that's just how it was. Yeah. Think about this. If, and I think we go back around and, and I would have to look at my sociological mapping, but there are some charts and a good place to go is visual capitalist. They've got a lot of these type of charts to go to visualist cap visual capitalist, which I have used in my classrooms before to show certain phenomena that have happened. If I'm not mistaken, I think that there were is about in the 1830s, about 2 billion people on earth. Mm-hmm. Okay. In 19. Now think about this. That is all the way back from the time of Noah till then. All right. And then from the 1830s to 1950, we get to 3 billion. Now, 1950 until now, we are now over 8 billion people. Yep. I mean, just and visualize that for a minute. Yep. I mean, just yeah. it's almost hard to swallow. Yeah. Amen. And I don't I don't think people realize in less than 100 years, 
We have more than doubled, almost tripled our entire, our population on earth. And part of that we can relate to the industrial age and freeing up. uh, That's a good example of some people having some extra time on their hands, I guess you could say. And that's probably as a result of the industrial age, because you didn't have to work from sunset to sundown. Exactly. And, you know, leisure time, leisure time became a big thing in the roaring twenties. Yeah. Yeah. That because, and, and who affected that Henry Ford with the assembly line. That was industrialization. Now people could work an eight hour day, make a livable wage mm-hmm. and still have time. Yeah. Amen. And then you have the automobile so you can get to and fro a lot quicker from work to home. Yep. And, and I mean, you know, this stuff has not been around that long. Right. Exactly. I mean, television and all that stuff did not really become a major thing until the 1950s. Yeah. When I was growing it, up, all we had was black and white TV. We didn't have exactly. TV. And I mean, it's very different. And, yeah. you know, even before that, it was just radio. Exactly. Yeah. So there's some really good stuff on the history channel. You can, mm-hmm. yep. um, you can look it. at things like, I love the history channel. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and, but you can go back, you know, the men who built America, yep. look at the Vanderbilts, the Morgans, the Rockefellers, yep. the car, you know, the Vanderbilts, the Fords of the world, you yep. know, the, carnegie's you can also there's also other ones that they have brought off of that and you can learn about some of the different industries and their development from that mm-hmm. there'll be the you know there's a thing on the titans which were kind of the next level of capital major capitalists that really you know the captains of industry that really shaped things in the 1900s after morgan and rockefeller and them had already dissipated you know had already passed yeah. on so yeah. this was the next generation basically of those Titans. But then there were also, they have these breakdowns of the different industries like the TV, the telephone and all these different things and how that all came about and the airplane and the battles and the competitions between those big businessmen, those Titans that were fighting for that. But you, but watching that, it's not just about them. It's about watching that technology emerge and how it completely changed people's lives. Mm-hmm. Yeah, you yeah. know, there's a big fight on the ra- uh, over the radio and how that was done. How MB- that's how NBC came about. And yeah, you can learn all those histories. And I'm not gonna, I don't want to get into too much depth and detail. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that start that really happens right after the turn of the century, at the 1900. Hey folks, Pastor Bob here. We're all out of time for today's portion of this great interview with T.S. Wright. Scott has been sharing, you know, over the past several episodes, uh, all about the seven days of the church, the seven church ages of the church, I should say. And today we started part seven. I say started part seven because this is so in-depth and so relevant to the day and time in which we find ourselves living today. It's going to take us three episodes to get through this discussion. Praise God. Amen. So drop down the show notes, click the links right there, order these resources, get in touch with Scott Wright. But be sure you're coming back for the next episode because this is the bridge that takes us from this one to the conclusion in part three. And you don't want to miss any of what he's been sharing because it is so relevant to our future. Amen. So drop down the shelves, click the links right there, and be sure to come back for the very next episode as we continue this discussion about the seventh age of the church with Scott Wright. Till then, it's Pastor Bob reminding you, be blessed in all that you do. Thank you for listening to today's episode of the Kingdom Crossroads Podcast. 
Please subscribe to our podcast so you can be notified when another episode is published. With over 800 interviews and 1,000 published episodes, Pastor Bob is known as a podcasting expert for helping others to create their own podcast to share their messages with the world. Please visit our website at www.podcastersforchrist.com. That web address again is www.podcastersforchrist.com for more information. Until next time, be blessed in all that you do.